Chapter Eleven of Zadig. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paradise Camouflage. Zadig or the Book of Fate by Voltaire. Chapter Eleven: The Evening's Entertainment. Setoc, who would never stare out without his bosom friend, in whom alone, as he thought, all wisdom centred, resolved to take him with him to Balzora Fair, whither the richest merchants round the whole habitable globe used annually to resort. Zadig was delighted to see such a concourse of substantial tradesmen from all countries assembled together in one place. It appeared to him as if the whole universe was but one large family, and all happily met together at Balzora. On the next day of the fair he sat down to table with an Egyptian, an Indian, that lived on the banks of the river Ganges, an inhabitant of Cathay, a Grecian, a Celt, and several other foreigners, who, by their frequent voyages towards the Arabian Gulf, were so far conversant with the Arabic language as to be able to discourse freely and be mutually understood. The Egyptian began to fly into a passion. What a scandalous place is this Balzora, said he, where they refuse to lend me a thousand ounces of gold upon the best security that can possibly be offered. Pray, said Sethok, what may the commodity be that you would deposit as a pledge for the sum you mention? Why, the corpse of my deceased aunt said he who was one of the finest women in all egypt she was my constant companion but unhappily died upon the road i have taken so much care that no mummy whatever can equal it and was i in my own country i could be furnished with what sumsoever i pleased were i disposed to mortgage it tis a strange thing that nobody here will advance so small a sum upon so valuable a commodity. No sooner had he expressed his resentment, but he was going to cut up a fine boiled pullet in order to make a meal on it, when an Indian laid hold of his hand, and with a deep concern, cried out, For God's sake, what are you about? Why, said the Egyptian, I design to make a wing of this fowl one part of my supper. Pray, good sir, consider what you are doing, said the Indian. "'Tis very possible that the soul of the deceased lady may have taken its residence in that fowl, and you wouldn't surely run the risk of eating up your aunt. To boil a fowl is doubtless a most shameful outrage done to nature. Psha! What a pother you make about the boiling of a fowl and flying in the face of nature,' replied the Egyptian in a pet. "'Though we Egyptians pay divine adoration to the orcs, yet we can make a hearty meal of a piece of roast beef for all that is it possible sir that your countrymen should act so absurdly as to pay an ox the tribute of divine worship said the indian absurd as you think it said the other the ox has been the principal object of adoration all over egypt for these hundred and thirty-five thousand years and the most abandoned egyptian has never been as yet so impious as to gainsay it Ay, sir, a hundred thirty-five thousand years, say you. Surely you must be out a little in your calculation. Tis but about fourscore thousand years since India was first inhabited. Sure I am, 
we are a more ancient people than you are, and our Brahma prohibited the eating of beef long before your nation ever erected an altar in honour of the ox, or ever put one upon a spit. What a racket you make about your Brahma! Is he able to stand the least in competition with our Iapis? says the Egyptian. Let us hear, pray, what mighty feats have been done by your boasted Brahma. Why, replied the Brahmin, he first taught his votaries to write and read, and tis to him alone all the world is indebted for the invention of the noble game of chess. You're quite out, sir, in your notion, said a Chaldean who sat within hearing. All these invaluable blessings were derived from the fish Wani, and tis that alone to which the tribute of divine adoration is justly due. All the world will tell you that t'was a divine being whose tail was pure gold, whose head resembled that of a man, though indeed the features were much more beautiful, and that he condescended to visit the earth three hours every day for the instruction of mankind. He had a numerous issue, as is very well known, and all of them were powerful monarchs. I have a picture of it at home, to which, as in duty I ought, I say my prayers at night before I go to bed, and every morning that I rise. There is no harm, sir, as I can conceive, in partaking of a piece of roast beef. But doubtless, tis a mortal sin, a crime of the blackest dye, to touch a piece of fish. Besides, you cannot justly boast of so illustrious an origin, and you are both of you mere moderns in comparison to us Chaldeans. You Egyptians lay claim to no more than a hundred and thirty-five thousand years, and you Indians but of eighty thousand, whereas we have almanacs that are dated four thousand centuries backwards. Take my word for it, I speak nothing but truth. Renounce your errors, and I'll make each of you a present of a fine portrait of our Guani. A native of Kamvalu, entering into the beat, said, I have a very great veneration, not only for the Egyptians, Chaldeans, Greeks, and Keltai, but for Brahma, Apis, and the Wani. But, in my humble opinion, the Li, or as tis by some called the Tien, is an object more deserving of divine adoration than any ox or fish, how much soever you may boast of their respective perfections. All I shall say in regard to my native country "'Tis of much greater extent than all Egypt, Chaldea, and the Indies put together. "'I shall lay no stress on the antiquity of my country, "'for I imagine tis of much greater importance to be the happiest people "'than the most ancient under the sun. "'However, since you were talking of the almanacs, "'I must beg the liberty to tell you that ours are looked upon "'to be the best all over Asia, and that we had several very correct ones before the art of arithmetic was ever heard of in Chaldea. You are all of you a parcel of illiterate, ignorant bigots, cried a Grecian. Tis plain you know nothing of the chaos, and that the world, as it now stands, is owing wholly to matter and form. The Greek ran on for a considerable time, but was at last interrupted by a Celt, who, having drank deep, during the whole time of this debate, thought himself ten times wiser than any of his antagonists, and rapping out a great oath, insisted that all their gods were nothing, if set in competition with the Teotas 
or the mistletoe on the oak. And for my part, said he, I carry some of it always in my pocket. As to my ancestors, they were Scythians, and the only men worth talking of in the whole world. Tis true indeed they would now and then make a meal of their countrymen, but that ought not to be urged as any objection to his country. And in short, if any one of you, or all of you, shall dare to say anything disrespectful of Teutath, I'll defend its cause to the last drop of my blood. The quarrel grew warmer and warmer, and Setoc expressed that the table would be overset, and that bloodshed would ensue. Zadig, who hadn't once opened his lips during the whole controversy, at last rose up, and addressed himself to the Celt, in the first place, as being the most noisy and outrageous. Sir, said he, your notions of this affair are very just. Good sir, oblige me with a bit of your mistletoe. Then, turning about, he expatiated on the eloquence of the Grecian, and in one word softened in the most artful manner all the contending parties. He said but little indeed to the Cathayan, because he was more cool and sedate than any of the others. To conclude, he addressed them all in general terms, to this or the like effect. My dear friends, you have been contesting all this while about an important topic, in which tis evident you are all unanimously agreed. Agreed, quotha, they all cried, in an angry tone. How so, pray? Why, said he to the hot, testy Celt, is it not true that you do not, in effect, adore this mistletoe, but that being who created that mistletoe and the oak, to which it is so closely united? Doubtless, sir, replied the Celt. And you, sir, said he to the Egyptian, you revere through your venerable Apis, the great author of every ox's being. We do so, said the Egyptian. The mighty Wanis, though the sovereign of the sea, continued he, must give precedence to that power who made both the sea and every fish that dwells therein. We allow it, said the Chaldean. The Indian, adds he, and the Cathayan acknowledge one supreme being, or one cause, as well as you. As to what the profound worthy gentleman the Grecian had advanced, is, I must own, a little above my weak comprehension, but I am fully persuaded that he will allow there is a supreme being on whom his favourite matter and form are entirely dependent. The Grecian, who was looked upon as a sage amongst them, said, in abundance of gravity, that Zadok had made a very just construction of his meaning. Now, gentlemen, I appeal to you all, said Zadok, whether you are not unanimous to a man in the debate upon the carpet, and whether there are any just grounds for the least divisions or animosities amongst you. The whole company cool at once caressed him, and Zadok, after he had sold off all his goods and merchandise at a round price, took his friend Zadig home with him to the land of Choreb. Zadig, upon his first arrival, was informed that a prosecution had been carried on against him during his absence, and that the sentence pronounced against him was that he should be burnt alive before a slow fire. End of chapter 11 Recording by Andy from Inverney.
M-E-L-Y-S dot W-S.